Hi, ladies. First of all, I just want to say that I am um, privileged to be here. I love coming here. I love you ladies so much. Um, and I'm uh, more than privileged to um, share the word with you tonight. I'm not worthy. Um, and yet... Jesus stands uh, in the gap for me and for each one of us. So let's bow our heads and give him some praise. Heavenly Father, oh, you're such a good, good Father. You are kind and generous the giver of all gifts, the God of all comfort. You are merciful. You are so gracious. You love us with an everlasting love that stretches as far as to the east, to the west. You love us so much that you gave your only son. Sacrificed him on a tree rose him from the grave three days later so we could be reconciled to you. What a love. A love that is stronger than death, that we cannot earn. It is a love that is incorruptible, immeasurable, never fails, never gives up, leaves the 99 to go back to the one. It is an everlasting love and we are so grateful that you love us. Jesus, thank you for living the life that we could never live. Dying the death that we deserve. And now we must look to you for life. We thank you, Lord. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O oh Lord. May it be the Holy Spirit uh, that flows through me. And may I be glorifying to your name. Let me decrease, Lord, so you may increase. Let the words that are spoken tonight fall on rich soil. We thank you, Lord. We need you. We love you. You are worthy of all of our praise and all of our glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I am uh, going to be in John 4 tonight. It's going to be verses 1 through 30 and then 39 through 42. Ironically, this is the same chapter that Acts is uh, reading uh, this week. And uh, the Lord has ministered to my heart with this chapter um, especially in the last six months. Um, and so I just uh, pray in the name of Jesus that it ministers to your heart as well. So I, I had a lot of uh, fun <laughs> studying this chapter. Um, there's a lot of sweet 
truths in here and stuff that he revealed to me that is just just beautiful it's just beautiful so I uh, I love this story of the Samaritan woman because I, I feel like it relates to um, to me I think it relates to a lot of us in this room um, it is about a woman who is rejected by her own people she is considered unclean she is an adulteress um, and she's not only rejected by her own people but the the people of Samaria are actually a rejected people so she is a rejected individual from a rejected people that's um, that's a lot <laughs> that's a lot of shame and um, and I know that I've felt like that in my life. Uh, a lot of times I uh, felt rejected um, by the choices that I made. Um, rejected by maybe just perhaps by the way that they judged the way I looked. Um, I've been rejected. I look pretty bad on paper. <laughs> so so I, I know that, um, that all of us can understand So there are many facets to this uh, to this story, and I'm excited to to share what the Lord has revealed. So, the first purpose of this chapter, well, the primary purpose, uh, is described in John twenty thirty one, and it says, "But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him." You may have life in his name. That's why everything has been written in this Bible. So we will believe and believe in him who, who gives us life. Um, this is why these things have been recorded, so that we will believe them. Um, there is life in his name, ladies. Jesus is life. Uh, even later on, it says in John 21, 25, now there are so many other things that Jesus did for every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And now, like, I, I think about that, like, think about how big our world is. And if they wrote down everything that Jesus did while he was on this earth, the world would not be able to contain it. Like that to me is like so amazing. If you think about how big our world is, just like the state of Alaska is huge, right? And that's just one small part of this world. So this is the sole purpose to unveil Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, uh, this is the first time in John in chapter 4, where Jesus declares himself the Messiah, I thought that was pretty cool. And you would think that, like, if he's going to declare himself the Messiah, that he would do it, like, you know, in front of the temple or something like that. But no, he declares it to an unclean woman, to a rejected woman, to an adulterous woman. He declares himself to this woman that he is the Messiah. Like, that just blows everything out of the water like he does not care 
about what we've done. Like, I have done some horrible things in my life. I have made some horrible choices. He does not care. He does not care about those things. He wants my heart. He wants your heart. That's what he died on the cross for, is the things that we've done and that we're ashamed of. So, the secondary purpose of this story is to bring salvation to the woman at the well. And then later on it says, and we'll, we'll go over this, it says, um, and then to, to many in her village. So, sole purpose is to unveil that Jesus is the Messiah, and the secondary purpose is to bring salvation to the woman at the well and to uh, many at her village. And so, um, like I've said before, a little background on the Samaritan people, which I had to look this up because I didn't know myself, is that Samaritan people were rejected by the Jews. They were considered a corrupt form of the Jewish race. They had um, intermarried with pagans back um, when the kingdom split uh, I believe the reference is in Second Kings. Um, when the kingdom split um, and the Jews that were left in the um, ten kingdoms, because there was twelve tribes, the ten tribes, um, the pagans came in and the Jewish people intermingled with them, intermarried, took on their customs, some of their customs, you know, mixed the Jewish customs with their customs. And so they became unclean. They were considered um, half-breeds, I guess you could say. So um, they were hated by the Jews. They were disregarded. Um, so um, I'm going to start in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now I want to stop right there because I, I thought that that was interesting, uh, what it says that he had to pass through Samaria. And because being a Jew, like, Jews went around Samaria. They wouldn't even go into Samaria. They would take the long route. So they didn't have to um, be around the Samaritan people. And so I looked up the word had to in Greek. And it says that it was necessary for him to go there. And it... And the Holy Spirit reminded me of John 6.38. Jesus says, For I have not come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so Jesus was on a mission to go to Samaria. And I just think that's so sweet. <laughs> this was a divine appointment at the well. This was a, an appointment that had been put in place before the foundations of the earth. Just like right now. Right now is a divine appointment. Every single person in this room is meant to be here and hear this. God makes no mistakes. None. 
So I just got really excited. I was like, had to. Like, that's an absolute. Like, he had to go there, right? I just thought that was really cool. So he had to pass through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, or that was about noon. And verse 6 says that Jesus was wearied from his journey, and I I like to know things. Um, People that are close to me know that, like I, I like to have the answer. And so I looked up the word wearied. And the Greek word for wearied is kapieo. It's derived from the word kapos, which means a beating. So Jesus was physically weary, like physically beaten down from his journey. He was exhausted, like physically exhausted or worn out. And I, I just love that picture. Like I can picture him like slumping up against the well, just like so tired and just kind of sliding down it. And I love the picture that he's given me. And I love the fact that that shows his humanity, right? Because Jesus was fully God, fully man. And in Hebrews 4, 14, and 15, it says that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus understands what it's like to be tired and weary. He understands how to, how to sympathize with the way that we feel, whether it's um, downtrodden or physically exhausted. Like, he understands. And... I love the fact that he's able to go on because he relied on the Father. Like his strength was the Father's strength. I just find that so comforting. So here it is. It's about noon. It's in the middle of the day. And here comes the woman from Samaria. And traditionally, women... Uh, went to the well to get water. They went at dusk, and they usually went as a group. Um, the well was also a meeting place, a gathering place. Um, I, I picture like going to work and like having a conversation on the water cooler. You know, I don't. Know. Um, so you have this woman coming in the middle of the day, and she's by herself. And I, this is so cool. Also, historically, they said that there was other, at that time, there were other wells that were actually closer to the village than Jacob's well. So why did she travel all that way by herself in the middle of the day? It's super hot, right? And um, I'm going to get a little ahead of ourselves and then we're going to come back. But the reason why, and I think this is important, so I want to express this. 
is um, in verses 16 and 18, um, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So she's hiding. She doesn't want to be seen. Um, most likely she is going to be ridiculed. Um, she uh, does not want to be approached. She completely is hiding in her shame. I've done that um, so many times where I just like pretend everything's okay and there's something really wrong, but yet I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to bother me. I, I understand. Um, she was hated among her own people because she was an adulteress. She was sexually immoral. She was looked down upon having a bad reputation. I too had a bad reputation, rejected by my own friends. Um, I was 18 years old. It was my 18th birthday. My dad was out of town and I had a party and I passed out and I woke up the next day and I had been raped by my best friend's boyfriend and nobody believed me. Because of my reputation, nobody would believe that he did that to me, that I must have done something to provoke him, that I must have invited him in, and none of my friends would talk to me. So I understand what it's like to be rejected by your own people. I understand her. So, she's coming to a well, a well that is far off, by herself during the hottest time of the day so she wouldn't have to run into anyone, so she could hide in her shame. We can put up these walls, we can never love, ne never let anybody in. So no one knows just how much we're hurting. But the Lord knows, right? Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. And Psalm 69.5 says, Oh God, you know my folly, my foolishness. The wrongs I have done or my sins are not hidden from you. So Jesus knows, even before he has this encounter with her, right? Because he's fully God. He knows everything about her. So, verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, I was thinking about this. Like, how much time in between did... Jesus have to wait for her to come up to the well, right? And I was thinking about like the anticipation that he would have 
because he knows what's coming, right? He knows that he's about to, like, offer salvation to her. And I just thought about, like, how sweet that would be, like, if, if it was me. I'm, like, really bad at surprises, so I would have, like, ran down the trail and been like, come on, hurry up, I have something to show you. But I think it's so sweet, and it shows, like, the patience of the Lord that he has for us. He has this, like, patience. Like, I screw up all the time. And he's like, it's okay. I love you. And he's just so patient and tender-hearted towards us. I just thought that was a super sweet picture of his character. So, he says, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus initiates a conversation with her, which is completely unheard of. Um, Men do not talk to women. Especially uh, Jewish men don't talk to women. And um, this shows that God shows no partiality, right? That God, there's no such thing as Jew or Samaritan, slave or free, right? God loves each and every one of us exactly the same. For God so loved the whole world, right? That this is a gift of grace for everybody. So she comes to the well and he says, give me a drink. And his disciples have gone away to the city to buy food. I think it's interesting that all of the disciples went. But I truly believe that like this encounter that he wants to have with her um, needs to be like a one-on-one. I know that my encounter with him was one-on-one. Um, I believe everybody's encounter uh, with Jesus is one-on-one. It was intentional. Sending them away was intentional. Um, He is intentional with every single one of us. He has made each and every one of us as individuals. He intricately wove each and every one of us in our mother's womb. He has a specific purpose for each and every one of us, created by him and for him. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it a Jew asked for a drink from me, a a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's really good. It's really good news, right? The Greek word that he uses for gift right here, I hope I don't chop this up, is durea. It denotes the word free. So if you knew the free gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Um, It also says that this is a gift that's given by Jesus. And this is the invitation. This is, um, as John MacArthur said it, unsolicited mercy, which means uninvited, 
right? She was coming to a well to get water. She's not seeking Jesus. She's not looking for the Messiah. She's just hiding, coming to get water so she can go back to her village. That's it. And he said, if you knew who I was and what I was offering, you would ask me. So I love how he's the one that initiated that he was thirsty. And now he is completely flipped it around and is like, you're actually the one that's thirsty. And you would ask me if you knew what I was talking about and who I was. But that... Um, isn't that just like us to question the goodness of God, right? Like, Lord, why are you, why are you doing this to me? Or why are you allowing me to, for this to happen to me? But ladies, his ways are so much higher than ours. If I had control of my own life, I would have been dead a long time ago. I can't save myself. I can't. He knows exactly what we need at the exact time. The living water that Jesus is talking about is eternal life. It's the free gift of salvation, the free dorea, dorea, dorea. I should ask Eric for my pronunciations. Um, but the Samaritan woman has no idea what's going on. She's focused on the well and tells this um, to Jesus in verse 11 and 12. She says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from him himself, as, he, as his sons did, and so did his livestock. And Jesus answers her, in verse 13 and 14, he said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. At the well, you have to use something, right, to draw the water up. She came with a water jar. She knew that she would need it. I believe this shows, like, that our own strength, right, in trying to, like, save ourselves. But Jesus tells her that he will give her living water and that she will never be thirsty again and on top of that the grace abounds even more we will have a spring that wells up inside of us the Holy Spirit and it's freely given and it will continue to spring up when we seek his face it's like a continual flow of grace that never stops I think that is so cool that is so cool. But she, she, doesn't, she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand. She's actually, I think, a little defiant in her answer. Like, you know, what is going on? This is very bizarre to her. 
So the woman still thinks that like this living water is going to quench her thirst. And she says to him in 15, sir, give me this water so I don't, so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so the lack of knowledge or the awareness of what exactly Jesus is talking about here, um, it's just, I mean, she just doesn't know. Like, the Lord spoke in lots of parables and people didn't understand. So, even like in chapter 3, Nicodemus didn't know and he was a, he was a, Pharisee, he like studied the word and he didn't understand what Jesus was saying either. So he turns the conversation to her sin, not to shame her. He did it to show her need for a savior. where she has placed her need. In verse 16, she, uh, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And I was talking to somebody about this particular scripture. And she, she doesn't tell the whole truth, right? She says, I have no husband. But she didn't go into detail, right? She's lying by omission, um, not telling the whole truth. She's hiding. There's shame. And then Jesus, like, blows it out of the water, right? No. No, you're right in saying that you don't have a husband. You actually have had five. And the one that you're with right now is, is not one of them. And she replies in verse 19, The women said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, I looked up the word perceive because I, I thought that was interesting. And it means to acknowledge. Not believe, but acknowledge. So she's acknowledging that he's possibly a prophet, right? But I believe that this is where... The, her heart transformation is starting. Starting to break down those barriers. So I, I just know that she's like questioning in her head, like what is going on here? How does he know this? How does he know this? But she doesn't believe him, not, not yet. She just acknowledges that, wow, that's pretty cool, right? 
And I like what, uh, I like his response. And I actually wrote down the amplified version. The amplified version kind of just breaks it down a little bit more. It gets kind of meatier. So, Jesus replied to her. We're starting in um, 21. Jesus replied to her, woman, believe me. Believe means to trust, to rely on, to have faith in, to cling to. Jesus replied, woman, believe me. So he is calling her. He's calling her. A time is coming when God's kingdom comes, when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, Samaritans, know very little about the one you worship, while the Jews know all about him, for salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and is already here now at this very present moment, right now, today, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, which is from the heart, the inner man, and in truth, for the Father seeks or desires such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And I love what it says, the source of life, yet invisible to mankind. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now there's so much in this statement. This is saying that no matter who you are, where you come from, where you have worshipped, what tradition says, that you will and can worship him wherever you go. If you believe in him. But not only that, Jesus says, woman, like, believe me, trust in me, cling to, rely on me. He is calling her right now at that very moment. He's calling you ladies right now at this very moment. He's desiring her to call upon his name, to believe in him. Remember what I said in John 20, 31, that by believing in him, in the word, you would have life in his name. And here he is calling her, believe me, believe me. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, I think this is one of the most powerful statements in this whole entire chapter. Because this is her declaration of hope. The Lord gave me a scripture earlier this week and it definitely ministered to my own heart. But I understand why he gave it to me because he gave it to me for that scripture right there. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has placed eternity into man's heart. So whether she knows it or not, God has placed eternity in her heart. He has placed eternity in each and every one of your guys' hearts. 
This is Jesus calling her, making her beautiful in his time. Calling her to the eternal hope in Christ Jesus. Ladies, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And I promise if you just give him a chance, if you just give him a chance, I promise you he will show up and he will free you. So she says, I know that Messiah is coming. This is the hope. This is the hope that's within her. Now remember, she just came to this well to get water. She was indifferent. She didn't want to talk to anybody. She was hiding. And now here she is with hope. With hope in her heart. And it's all because of Jesus. It is all because of this encounter. All she did was listen to him. He changed her heart. Ladies, he is calling out to you right now at this very moment. I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He declares himself the Messiah. Could you imagine the power coming out of that statement? Out of his words, that is the power of eternal life. That is the Holy Spirit. And at that very moment, when he spoke those words, her heart changed. She believed. She believed in him. She believed him at his word. There is life in his name, ladies. Her heart became flesh. She became a new creation. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I didn't realize it was so late. I'm so sorry. I'm just really excited. Okay. Um, he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town to the people. So the woman like immediately left, right? Immediately. She left her water jar. The sole purpose she went there, she left it. She left it there and was like took off to the village the one reason she came to the well was to get water, and she left her water jar and ran to the village to pro proclaim the good news of the Messiah. She immediately was used by Jesus. This is an unclean woman, an adulteress that had no idea who he was and what the gift of, of God that he brought to her, and yet he used her that very moment. That just blows me away. Like, the fact that he's using me right now. Like, man, if you guys knew my past, you'd be like, what is she doing up there? But that's what he does. That's what he does. She was immediately used by God. So this woman who, in the beginning, was deliberately hiding to avoid being seen by anyone full of shame and guilt, who is now telling everyone what Jesus said to her, the shame has melted away, 
she has no condemnation. She's going into this village and, and telling everything that Jesus said to her about her past. And she's got no shame about it. She went from hiding to proclaiming. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Romans 8, 1 says. And verse 39 says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now here's a woman who's hated by her own people going into the village and proclaiming Jesus, and they believe her. Like the power of her testimony changed people's hearts. Because the Holy Spirit had rested upon her. Like, that's crazy. It's enough to change. Her testimony was enough to change hearts. That's what God does. He can do anything. There is not a problem in this world that is too great for our Lord. Many more believed because of his word. Ladies, there is life in the name of Jesus. I'm a living testimony of that. I, I was in and out of prison and doing drugs for 20 years. And by the grace of God, because of his abundant mercy, he saved me. And he wants to save you. Just give him a chance. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we love you and we thank you. Um, thank you that you know us. You know us because you created us. You love us. You love us so much that you sent Jesus to stand in the gap, to die for our sins so we could have eternal life with you. That's a love that cannot be explained. And I pray in the name of Jesus that this love would penetrate our hearts tonight in a fresh, fresh way. We love you and we need you and you are worthy of all praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.